Good afternoon. Welcome to The Wrap from NC Capital. I'm WRL State Government Reporter Travis Fain. And I'm another WRL State Government Reporter, Brian Anderson. And we're going to try to get you caught up from the week that was in North Carolina politics. I believe we missed you last week. Apologies. Uh, but we'll try to be fairly regular here. Um, I think the number one thing, you know, we're still talking about abortion and we'll be all the way to and through November, I think, Brian. Uh, the Attorney General Josh Stein saying this week that he would not go into court and push for enforcement of the state's 20-week abortion ban. It's ban on abortions after 20 weeks outside of medical emergencies. Um, of course, that kind of further crystallizes things between Republicans and Democrats. Stein, of course, a Democrat running for governor in 2024. And so the, the, the battle lines are kind of set. Ultimately, I don't know that it's going to affect what actual state law is here, uh, though, because the judge has indicated that the injunction holding back uh, enforcement of this law is probably going to go away. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, certainly going to be a top button issue that both sides are hoping will animate voters. Uh, for Republicans, it's, hey, this is a victory, but we need our super majorities to capitalize on it and really go further in enacting the policies we want. For the Democrats, it's we are under attack. Women's rights are under attack and you need to elect us. Otherwise, you're going to see the erosion of access to this medical procedure. So both sides really trying to hammer home that message. And Josh Stein is obviously on the abortion rights side of this debate. And so what I think we'll see next is Republicans uh, in the General Assembly pushing uh, to get further involved in the case. Uh, Judge Austin, who uh, has charged the case at district court level, he, he has given everybody 30 days with that clock starting on July 8th to file briefs in the case. Uh, and then he, like I said, he's indicated that this injunction probably will go away. Maybe I'd explain for decades, North Carolina has had a ban on uh, abortions after 20 weeks, again, with medical uh, emergency exceptions. Uh, on the books, it has not been enforced because of a federal lawsuit. But because Roe versus Wade was struck down, uh, that uh, precedent is really no longer available. And thus, our law is probably no longer unconstitutional. And uh, there was some protesting over abortion in Washington this week. I believe you, uh, did you speak to Congresswoman Adams or interact with her staff on that? Yeah, so I actually spoke with uh, Representative Alma Adams. She's a Congresswoman out of Charlotte, represented the area since 2014. And so basically this happened, uh, I think the afternoon, and I talked with her as she was being detained. She had already been arrested. She told me she wasn't handcuffed. We saw some lawmakers pretend to be handcuffed, it looked like. Uh, she was not one of them. Uh, and she spoke with me over FaceTime. Uh, so I had like quickly raced to get my cell phone to record my other cell phone so we could have something usable for that. Uh, but she really told me that, you know, this is a top, priority of her. She was one of 17 members of Congress arrested, according to the U.S. Capitol Police. Uh, she was uh, charged or fined $50 for her protest. Basically, Capitol Police say we asked members and protesters to disperse. Uh, we said that multiple times. They refused, and Adams admitted to that as well, just saying that we have to really fight for this issue of abortion rights, and I'm not going to be silent on this. Yeah, and kind of sticking with Washington for a second, we had a, a vote earlier this week uh, on contraception rights. So, I mean, uh, because of the way that uh, Justice Thomas wrote his uh, concurrence in the in the decision 
the Dobbs decision on abortion. There are a lot of people who think that this Supreme Court uh, will eventually move to strike down any right people have to contraception, allowing states uh, to outlaw essentially uh, birth control. And Congress, Democrats in Congress are looking to kind of codify those rights to shore them up. A bill from our own Kathy Manning, a Greensboro area Dem Democrat in Congress, uh, cleared the House this week, uh, had very limited Republican support. I believe eight Republicans voted for it nationally, none of them in North Carolina. Um, there's also a, a gay marriage vote, a, a bill meant to shore up uh, that right uh, that has cleared uh, the, uh, the the House with a lot more Republican support, right, Brian? But no North Carolina Republicans in the House uh, supported that bill either. Yeah, so that was for legalizing, making sure that you're safeguarding gay rights uh, uh, for, for gay marriage here, and also interracial marriage is another part of that. Uh, Tom Tillis, interestingly, he said that he would support this. Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, a hardline, very Trump loyalist guy, said, I think this bill is unnecessary, but I would vote for it. I think Mitch McConnell's also come out in support of it. So it seems to have some, some legs in the Senate. It's awfully hard to imagine a single Democrat not voting for it. It seems maybe you have a pathway for 10 Republicans at least to support that as well. And I think 47 House Republicans supported that measure. Yeah, and I wanna diverge uh, back down to North Carolina. Let's talk about carbon. Can we talk about carbon, Brian? I've been dying to talk about carbon. Um, the carbon plan that is required to be put together by House Bill 951, which was pretty major energy legislation that passed in the North Carolina General Assembly last year with bipartisan support, that is coming together. It's, it's fairly complicated. There are a lot of moving parts. Duke Energy is largely driving that bus, but but ultimately it's going to be up to the North Carolina Utilities Commission, which is fully appointed uh, at this point. They've had enough turnover to where Governor Roy Cooper has appointed every member uh, of that body. By the end of the year, they have to put together a plan, uh, a least cost plan to hit 70% or so reduction in carbon dioxide outputs from Duke Energy's power plants by 2030, or if they adopt certain technologies that take longer, uh, they can get a few years cushion there. So that that process is happening. I wrote a large story about it that ran last Sunday. Uh, so people can, can can look to that, I think, uh, if that's something they want to follow. I mean, it's a very big top policy priority of Cooper. We have all these business investments in the state as well with VinFast and electric vehicles. And this, so this, that's just a, one part of it. I think we actually, WRL sent some people to to Vietnam, if I'm understanding right. So there's a lot going on on the renewable energy front here. Yeah, and it's it's an economic driver. I, it is, is kind of the point you're making there. And I mean, even so in this process to build this plan with the Utilities Commission, all sorts of people can weigh in. And, and one of them that weighed in was Walmart. Uh, and not only did they say, you know, hey, electricity is, uh, I believe they said it was their largest cost after employees. Uh, but not only did they say, we don't want this to be too expensive. They said, we are committed to renewable energy. So corporate giants around the, the country are pushing for uh, some at least increases in, in renewable energy because climate change has finally been accepted uh, as, as fact. Um, Reverend Anthony Spearman uh, died this week. Uh, I should say his body was found this week. Uh, and it appears there may have been some foul play. He was the former NAACP president 
We don't really know the circumstances of his death. Uh, the Greensboro News and Record, he lived in Greensboro, has had some good coverage today, uh, Friday the, the 22nd, if you want to look that story up. Uh, obviously, the NAACP politically involved in North Carolina. Reverend Spearman was a, a, a very active protester. Uh, you might remember him from just camping outside the governor's office, trying to get people who uh, were innocent, uh, but had served a lot of time pardoned. I mean, just literally in his car, in a tent, in a chair outside the governor's office. Uh, and that's and, outside and, Roy Cooper's office too, that's, Democratic that's right. That's exactly right. Um, and uh, yeah, he, 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 he was found dead. He was 70 or 71, uh, but the Guilford County Sheriff's Department is investigating it actively. So we, we really do not know what happened there. And Sherry Beasley's reacted to it. She's a U.S. Senate candidate. Uh, Reverend William Barber from the Poor People's Campaign. He's, uh, they've, they've all just sort of touched on how much of a legacy Spearman had in North Carolina politics, how important he was. And like you said, pushing for civil rights, pushing for innocent people to be released from jail. Uh, so certainly an influential person and some questions still outstanding about what transpired there. Yeah, and his tenure at the NAACP, state NAACP, ended badly. He was, it seems like, pushed out. There were some accusations against him. He filed a lawsuit saying that he was being defamed. So there are a lot of moving parts there. Um, turning our attention to the community college system, we started the week, and really last Friday, there was a, a long closed session of the community college board, uh, and Thomas Stith uh, was pushed out. Uh, he was the president of the system. Uh, he will be replaced by Bill Carver, who has previously been the Nash Community College president and a previous interim president. Uh, this is now, I think, the seventh president, including interims. I've lost count. There's too many. <laughs> In seven it's years, that's an awful lot of turnover for a 58 campus community college system that is really important in this state. It's like that I Love Lucy cartoon with the conveyor belt, just new president, new president. It's just a lot of turnover, it seems. Uh, Stith, we don't know what the details are of any severance. Uh, the board chairman told me earlier this week that that was still under discussion. So that's something we'll have to circle back on next week. So, you, you know, you, you, you tend to have to pay people that you want to go away. Um, and I'm little doubt that'll happen here. Speaking well, of getting paid. Yeah, I was going to say, that's quite the segue to the next one. <laughs> Nicole <laughs> Hannah Jones, with uh, not the only drama in the world of higher ed and payouts uh, this week. We knew from last week that Nicole Hannah Jones, she's Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, creator of the 1619 Project, which is that initiative from the New York Times that sort of seeks to recast America's founding with slavery and institutional racism at the center. She's drawn uh, some some widespread support from members of the UNC Chapel Hill community during a tenure fight last year. And basically what happened was uh, she was going for a night chair journalism position, trying to get tenure, past night chairs have, and she was given a five-year offer instead. And that sparked outcry. Um, the, the person whose name is at the center of the journalism school, Walter, is it Hussman, I believe you pronounce Walter it? Walter Hussman, yeah. Yeah, he was seemingly pushing against Hannah Jones uh, here in, in that tenure fight uh, and sort of expressing some concerns with her objectivity. Uh, but bottom line, uh, Hannah Jones ended up being offered a tenured position, which she declined and went to Howard University in D.C. 
And there were some accusations from Hannah Jones that, you know, this was about the 1619 project and, and some other improper hiring considerations potentially. Uh, so she got a payout of $74,999.99, which is literally a, a, a penny difference between where you'd need some added oversight um, into that settlement. But the other interesting part of it was that uh, we learned this week what's new is that she can't apply or reapply to work and teach at UNC until uh, January 1st, 2028. Not sure she'd want to really reapply to UNC, but that's one bit of news. The other one was that there were some provisions in that settlement agreement that benefited the UNC campus, including hiring uh, and training for, for more diverse recruitment efforts, uh, sponsorship of different events from the provost's office. So there was a number of things that were went beyond the Hannah Jones controversy, but also benefited the student body. Yeah, I'm guessing she was not looking to reapply uh, at UNC, uh, and this will make any threat of a lawsuit uh, for the kind of back and forth over her tenure go away. Uh, speaking of UNC, the UNC system, Peter Hans, their president, former community college president, he's one of the reasons his promotion, for lack of a better word, is one of the reasons we've had uh, an interim community college president in recent years. He got a $451,000 bonus, uh, but that's on a salary of about $400,000 a year. His predecessors made closer to $800,000. So the idea is, I, I, I doubt they thought this through that, hey, the economy uh, might be turning south. Let's make sure we have annual votes uh, to increase what we pay the community college president, I mean, excuse me, the university system president so that every university employee can complain about it once a year. Uh, but that, that has come through. Uh, General Assembly news, the Wake County Democrats they had seemed to settle on a candidate to replace retiring state representative Greer Martin here in Wake County, a guy named Zach Padgett, who works for the attorney general's office right now. Uh, that was put together a few weeks ago, but Padgett, uh, I believe, it, yeah, earlier this week said, hey, family considerations, I'm going to drop out 11 days after he was, 11 or 12 days after he was uh, anointed to be on the ballot here. So they're going to have to redo that. Wake County Democrats will gather uh, Monday evening, I believe, uh, Jack Nichols, who was going to fill the remaining amount of Greer Martin's term, uh, Greer Martin, state representative, who is going to the Pentagon for a job. So Jack Nichols will fill out the rest of this year, finish Martin's term, and then he may or someone else may be on the ballot in November for a full two-year term. Uh, that's something that the Democratic Party, local Democrats, will figure out Monday evening. Um, we lost a uh, former cabinet two-time. Uh, cabinet secretary, right? Uh, in John Scavarla uh, early this week, right, Brian? Yeah, he was uh, an appointee of former governor, Republican governor, Pat McCrory, and he served as what is now the Department of Environmental Quality, head of that. At the time, it was Diener, Environment, Natural Resources, and then he served as Commerce Secretary during the time of House Bill 2. Uh, when businesses were leaving the state. He also presided at sort of like the head environmental leader during the Dan River coal ash spill over in, in the Greensboro area back in 2014. So he had some, some difficult things to deal with during his tenure. Um, there were concerns of his views of climate change. Um, there were concerns of whether or not he was, he would be able to support business at a time when 
businesses were leaving the state. Uh, and I spoke with Governor McCrory and he had nothing but praiseworthy things to say about his former secretary saying he'd miss him. Uh, he was a good golf player apparently, uh, but also McCrory saying that Scavarla helped lay the foundation for North Carolina to become the number one business friendly place according to CNBC's recent rankings. I'm sure Governor Cooper might differ on who's to take credit for that, uh, but certainly John Scavarla was an influential figure presiding at some questionable times here in the state. Yeah, our best wishes to his family. Uh, I got some quick ones I wanna hit, but one thing we might have to spend a little bit of time on, uh, Attorney General Josh Stein filed a lawsuit today to basically, not today, excuse me, this week in federal court to basically circumvent a criminal investigation of his campaign that was begun by the man the Republican ran against him in 2020, uh, Forsyth County's district attorney. And they had gone back and forth over some ads or an ad that the Stein campaign had run about who did and did not get rape kits tested. Uh, and basically it's a defamation case, but there is this old law in the books in North Carolina that says it's a crime to lie in a political ad. I think it goes back to the 1930s. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, what, what's Stein saying here? He's basically saying, hey, this is unconstitutional, right? Yeah. So basically what you have going on is you have a, a, what seems to be a deceptive ad from 2020 for O'Neill. He was the Republican running against Stein at the time. Jim O'Neill. Jim O'Neill. Jim O'Neill. Yeah. And so O'Neill was basically trying to use this 1930s law to say Stein's campaign uh, was basically airing an unlawful ad and sort of trying to clear his name through this. And Stein's point is, well, basic First Amendment right to free speech, especially in political speech, which is a heightened level of protection. Uh, and also I looked at the ad itself and it was a Stein uh, supporter, it seemed to be a sexual assault survivor speaking. It wasn't exactly Stein saying it. And it, it was about uh, O'Neill supposedly leaving rape kits on the shelf, but that's not really under his purview. So basically what Stein is trying to do here is sort of say this old law is unconstitutional. So this is a non-issue. And, and in the course of the, of the lawsuit though, he's also revealing to the public that there is this criminal investigation. Apparently the, the, the SBI has been involved uh, as O'Neill has pushed this. So we'll, we'll see what comes out of that. Uh, I got a couple quick hitters here. I keep hearing Dale Folwell is uh, considering a run for governor in 2024. We know Mark Robinson, the Lieutenant governor is He's clearly a candidate, uh, and uh, people have been whispering a little bit about Dale Falwell for a while, so keep an eye on that on the Republican side. And Falwell, obviously, is state treasurer currently, and Mark Robinson, the current lieutenant governor, who has said he is 95% sure he would run for governor. He said that, I think, last year, uh, and he was also one of the people floated for a potential U.S. Senate bid, uh, but he... He said it, it was a clear decision that he, would, he wouldn't go for that. So anyway, it's not just Robinson to keep your eyes on potentially next year, couple years. Also, uh, Republican State Senator Bob Steinberg, who lost his primary, he was double bunked with another Republican uh, in the primaries. He is leaving the General Assembly. Uh, the coverage I've seen, and, and it wasn't us, and forgive me, I don't remember where I read it or I'd credit, uh, indicated that he was going to move into lobbying. So it looks like you will continue to see Bob Steinberg, one of the better known conspiracy theorists at the General Assembly. Uh, 
Ask him what he thinks about the CIA. Looks like you'll be seeing him lobbying around the building. And I'll quickly say Moore v. Harper, that's the independent legislature theory case. Uh, and we can break that down a little bit if you want to, Brian. But uh, it, it's before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court accepted it. could be a pretty big deal. It looks like arguments in December, uh, both sides have agreed to that schedule. I mean, this is about, let, let's just spell it out for folks. Tim Moore's current House Speaker, and this is really about this endless redistricting saga that never seems to want to end. Uh, we know going forward that this congressional map that's currently in place is only going to be used this year. It seems that the state house and state senate maps should stay in place for the next decade. You could potentially have a legal challenge, we don't know. Uh, so really what this is arguing is who should have the power to draw the lines. And with the state legislature theory, it's more or less saying it resides almost exclusively with state lawmakers with very, 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 very minimal oversight. Yeah, at least for drawing congressional maps. Yeah, exactly. And then the question is, if you extend that theory out, uh, as some Trump supporters tried to do it, uh, after the 2020 results came in, what does that mean for what state legislatures can and can't do, what they can and can't get away with, quite frankly, uh, when it comes to elections? A couple of things I did want to quickly hit on for next week. There is going to be a skeletal session at the legislature. Uh, one, the only outstanding item that I recall is uh, the sort of consumer protection provision that made it into uh, a regulatory reform bill that Cooper let become law without a signature. The understanding is that the Senate would take that up at some point uh, to make sure that provision is basically nullified. Uh, and the other one is that we have a second runoff happening next week. Uh, that's pretty much only notable race that I can think of um, for the countywide level is the sheriff's race here um, on the Democratic side. There's a few local races as well. Perry County Council's got a couple. Yeah, so there's certainly some notable things happening at the local level. But just a reminder, you can vote if you voted in that, that Democratic primary, you can vote. Yeah, vote, vote, vote Tuesday uh, if there is an election in your area for sure. Uh, as for the General Assembly next week, no votes, no floor votes in the House or the Senate. And I think that's all we got. That's a wrap on the all wrap. Right. <laughs> stay cool out there, folks. That heat is no joke. Uh, we hope you stay well and we'll be with you next week here on the wrap.